hits all the time. We are family. Next Scherzer, double digit K's. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. It was a short week ahead of a long weekend for the Nationals, so we thank you for making the Mass and All Access podcast a part of your Friday, kicking off the weekend off right. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings here with you from the Mass in Newsroom. Two games in Tampa Bay. The Nationals split the series against the Rays. They actually end up winning three out of four on the season against one of the better American League teams, which is a pretty good sign. But, uh, yeah, short week, two off days on a Monday and a Thursday. So Amy and I just figured we'll set you up for this long weekend in Miami as the Nationals finish off their road trips for the 2020 season. Yeah, we're going to give you a little something to look forward to as the Nationals finish up this season. Well, before we get to that, though, uh, we do have to touch on kind of a, a sad and sour note, and that is that the Nationals' elimination number continues to dwindle, uh, seems day by day. Um, looking at the standings, I guess theoretically and mathematically, the Nationals could be eliminated officially from the postseason as early as this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and just looking at the standings, again, the baseball standings, the way that they have it set up is impossible to read. I don't understand it. This year, I'm just so confused. Yeah. <laughs> so and, confused. And, and we'll talk about actually uh, this expanded playoff format once it gets going and the Nationals' regular season comes to a conclusion um, and how it's all going to shake out. But just looking at... Um, where the Nationals stand in terms of the teams that are still in it um, or currently in it um, in the National League. Again, the Braves, they're in, leading the uh, the division. Their Nationals could be officially eliminated. Or I guess the, Na- the Braves could yeah, eliminate the Nationals from division contention um, in three games. That number is down to three, so that's a combination of either Braves wins or Nats losses. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, the Nationals with – five games in three days against the Marlins. They've had so many games that it increases their opportunity, I guess, to that's – a, that's a glass half-empty lo- way ways, of looking yeah, at it, yeah. yeah. But they, I guess they have more opportunities to maybe get back in it. You know, you win five in a row, maybe right back in it. But looking further um, down the line, the Giants, um, they're currently – I'm sorry, I keep going back and forth because, again, <laughs> this is impossible to – they're currently in the seventh place, so I'm only keeping track of the NL East teams, because and then the two wild card teams because the second place Central and Western teams have no effect. Exactly, the Nationals don't play them; mm-hmm. um, they're going to get in regardless. Um, so the Giants in that seventh seed, that first wild card spot, that that elimination number is down to seven. They play three games against Oakland this weekend. Um, the Phillies number is down to eight. They're in the last wild card spot as of right now. And the Marlins are actually all the way up at the number five spot as the number two team from the uh, NL East. That elimination number is down to seven. And, mm-hmm. of course, the five games this weekend that the, the uh, Marlins, guess, could eliminate the Nationals as well from finishing second in the National League East or catching the Marlins right. uh, by this weekend. That's a lot, Bobby. Yeah. That's a whole lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And it's sad. You know, this is, was not a – you know, you don't want to be – the World Series champion that can't make it back to the playoffs the following year. We saw the Red Sox do that, and now they're, of course, doing probably a complete rebuild mm-hmm. um, from here on out for the next couple of years. Um, but, you know, in this 2020 season, with all the injuries that went down, the shortened season, every game matters so much. The difficulty of their schedule, we talked about before the season even started, that 
facing the National League East and the American League East will probably be one of the hardest division matchups in terms of how the schedule was structured this season. So it, it's a def, diff, de, definitely a difficult season throughout the, these past couple of months for the Nats. Yeah, you knew it was going to be difficult from the start, and then, you know, the injuries just plagued them throughout the whole season. You see that the playoff chances dwindle and dwindle, and now pretty much gone. So it's never good when you're the defending world champs, and then you're like, hmm, who could we knock out of the playoff picture? Uh, you don't really want to be in that position, but here are the Nationals. So you got to take what they can get, and we're going to look at some things to look forward to in these last few days of the season. Um, and I think the biggest storyline is Trey Turner, right? Yeah, that'd be my number one, too. Can he capture the batting title in the National League, maybe even all of baseball? He's a little further away. You know, there was a time where him and Juan Soto were neck and neck at the top of that list in terms of owning the batting league title. Um you look at the averages right now in the National League, Turner is just uh, eight points behind Freddie Freeman uh, with a 344 average. Freeman's at 352. Mm-hmm. But then DJ LeMahieu, uh, the second baseman for the New York Yankees, is currently owning a, seven, a, three thir- a 373 average, excuse me, in seven less games. And he hasn't played less, so, you know, that hasn't had an opportunity. I'm assuming that Yankees have. 20 games to play in the next week. Are they not, they they not going to finish with six? No, they games? have like. I think like they played or did 10 he, more was games. he just yeah. getting the days off yeah, yeah. um and tim anderson for the uh the chicago white Sox with a 365 average so turner's still right there i get fourth overall in baseball again second in the national league but he's something to keep an eye on over the next couple next week or week plus to see if he can get that average back up well he's right in there he's right in there and he's a guy you you would love to see get it you know he's the glue of this team right now and you see a lot of comparisons with to him and Tim Anderson because they both have never played in an all-star game um, both 27 years old just born just weeks apart and you know 27 years old is the age the analysts say you know this is you're in your prime this is your going to be your best year of baseball you know that perfect mi- mix of your youthfulness and um, your your veteran experience and you definitely see that come true in Tim Anderson's season this year and Trey Turner's season so he's right in it you know he's ex- those both of those guys are exactly the type of player that you want to have up the middle um, he's not a flashy guy uh, but he has power. He has the speed. You know, that him being able to hit leadoff and in that three hole is a testament to that. Um, so he's, he's, he's right there in the mix, and you'd love to see him, and you'd love to see that at least that storyline, something to look forward to as you watch the Nationals finish up this season, Bobby. Yeah, and, of course, uh, Tim Anderson also looking for back-to-back batting titles. He won a last, won last year, year right? um, um, with a, a, a really nice average. Th- only 335. He's up at 365 now this year. Um, so something for Trey Turner to try to chase down. And it's, so you wonder what these guys would do. You know, you, you see them throughout the entire regular season, what they would do. But yeah. I don't think it's just obviously, you know, Tim Anderson won it last year. So it's not just, a, you know, a lucky year. Right. It, these yeah. guys are good. And DJ Mayhew <laughs> has been one of the con- better of consistent hitters in baseball And he's as the well same way, career. you know, not a big flashy player, but he is – the glue that has held that team together this season, too. Yeah, and it's crazy. Like, the 60-game season, you know, how much stock are we going to put into these numbers at the end of the season? I think batting title, though, is one of those where you can say, I mean, everyone had a fair chance. You mm-hmm. know, you look at maybe some pitching numbers, they have less starts, so those can kind of fluctuate. You're only facing certain lineups. You're not facing the rest of the league. Right. Uh, but batting title, ba- you know, batting average, everyone has the same amount of – or, you know, and considering all things healthy and, and, and you have to have the 
certain amount of right. bats. And yeah, yeah, so the way that you qualify, it all kind of evens out. So that is a statistic in my mind that is like, all right, that's a, that's fair. You know, we, we can kind of take that as, yeah, you were the best hitter in 2020, albeit in a shortened season, but there's nothing to take away from – why would I take something away from you like that? Because it was kind of a fair playing ground. I mean, does that make sense? No, I think you're say? right. I think you're absolutely right yeah. about that. Um, another thing going in favor for Trey Turner is actually the, the upcoming opponents. Um, he, of course, plays the Marlins. The Nationals play the Marlins this week. Then they finish with at home against the Phillies and the Mets. This season he's hitting 438 against the Marlins um, in five games, so he has five more games to – be uh, feast on on Marlins pitchers. Not so high against the Mets, uh, only a two fifty average. But he also hits three sixty against the Phillies. They have three games Monday through Wednesday. Actually, four games because they have a doubleheader on Tuesday. I'm so excited for three doubleheaders in, double in five days. Yeah, that's, that's gonna be insane. so much fun. Um, it's gonna be great for their pitching. But uh, Trey Turner has done well against these next two pitching staffs in Miami and Philadelphia. But that gives him an opportunity to maybe boost that average up a little bit and make it real interesting going into the final weekend. And it'd be yeah, that would make it exciting com- like down the stretch. You know, if it comes comes down to those last few games and it's they're right neck and neck, um, that makes it even more exciting. But you know, and that's been his whole thing is consistency this this season is working how to hit consistently and, you know, struggled at the beginning of the season and, and then he just went on a roll and it hasn't stopped. So that's what you want to see. And I think it's going to it's going to be exciting down the stretch for sure. Yeah. And also don't forget about Juan Soto in this race, too. He's at 342. He's only two points behind Trey Turner, uh, sixth overall in all of mm-hmm. baseball. Uh, fourth in the uh, National League, um, and he—we're yep. going to get to his because uh, he's number two in our things to look out for um, for this final week of the season. But he also feasts on these upcoming pitching staffs. I mean, his numbers are outrageous against uh, New York. Obviously, everyone knows he beats up on New York. He hits <laughs> a four seventy four average against the Mets, an ops of seventeen eleven against them, which we'll get to his on-base percentage slugging and OPS in a second. Um, he doesn't hit the Phillies as well for average, but his on-base and slugging is through the roof uh, for an OPS over 1,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Miami hits Miami uh, pitchers for a 353 average. So, the, you know, again, pitching staffs that he knows well, he's, he's familiar with, he can get after get after it and feel comfortable at the plate and maybe collect a couple of multi-hit games and get back into that race as well, maybe not just in the National League, but maybe in all of baseball. That'd be exciting. And, you know, you, you watch Juan Soto go up to the plate, and it's like he looks way too comfortable, even from the start, you know. As a baby, it's like he just gets <laughs> up there, and he looks so comfortable. So that'd be great if he could be, get, be right back in it too. Well, then on that note, you, you know, currently Juan Soto leads all of baseball in on-base percentage slugging, and, of course, that equates to OPS. Uh, 470 on-base, 708 slugging for an OPS of 1178. I mean, this guy, and, and this is a... This, that good? He's that good, yeah. And you know what, he's even... And I think that shows, and I look in the stat line right now, um, in his splits against, what was it, the Phillies. He, he only hits 263 against them. Of the next three pitching staffs, that's the least by a good amount, by over 100 points, by almost 100 points. Um, but his OPS is the second highest because he just gets on base, base. against You know, he draws so many walks. Uh, Alex Chappell and I were talking on Wednesday because he was on base for that two-run home run um, by uh, Astrubal Cabrera. Uh, you know, he is dangerous by even when he's not at the plate because he can get on base without swinging that bat. Um, and that's going to help him in terms of that on-base percentage uh, skyrocketing. Exactly. He leads, again, all of baseball in all three of those categories. Um, and I don't think it's not even close, especially when it comes to the ops. The, the on-base, Freddie Freeman's only five points behind him in, in all of baseball. But the OPS, he's got a pretty comfortable lead. He's up by, like, 50-plus points, 55 points. And that's what – I mean, 
these two, Trey Turner and Juan Soto, make it so easy for Davey Martinez because not so easy when, you, you know, you're trying to fill out the rest of the lineup. But, you know, he can move them around and he can count on these two to get on base. And obviously you look at Juan Soto's numbers, he gets on base and that's what makes him such an effective guy in their lineup. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he attacks these Mar- Marlins, Mets, uh, uh, Marlins, Phillies and Mets, Mets, I guess, in that order. Um, uh, pitching staff because he does so well against them. And then, again, the high number of games, you know, they're going to get their at-bats. They're going to get a a number of at-bats with three Three double-headers in five five days. days. (laughs) I'm going to keep mentioning that because we'll be here for all three double-headers in five (laughs) days. Um, Yeah, so those are my two number twos. I mean, you know, it's always exciting, especially, you know, I think back to, like, 2015, the Bryce Harper's MVP season. That season obviously went awry. Um, it did not end up in a playoff berth after winning the division for the second time the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, down the stretch, it was can Bryce Harper can build upon on his historic season uh, and, and clinch a, an, an MVP. And he was the youngest unanimous MVP at the time in 2015, which that was something to watch every day and out. You know, mm-hmm. Trey Turner, Juan Soto, or someone to keep an eye on every single day as the season concludes. And ex- that's, you know, especially for this season, like, you know, at the start, it was like, can you get excited for the 60-game season? You know, if you win a title, does it really even count if you have that star next to it? Um, but in now, you know, the Nationals' last place, I mean, not a great season, but it, that, it makes it still exciting. Same thing with that season with Bryce Harper. So these two definitely look out for that through this next week. Yeah, and, and to uh, kind of double down on my point earlier about the shortened season and how it affects the stats – Juan Soto is kind of the opposite of terms of what I, my point was in that he's played in less games, but he's right there. He, he didn't play in less games because it was a shortened season. It's because of exactly. he tested, pos, tested positive for COVID. Right. Uh, they missed the started. first 10 games yeah. of the season. And, you know, he's played 34 compared to Freddie Feeman's 50. DJ LeMahieu's 40. Uh, this is in terms of the OPS standings. Nelson Cruz is 49. Dominic Smith's 40. You know, he is well below all of them, yet he still qualifies because of That's the enough. ratio of, ab- of uh, plate appearances mm-hmm. to the games he's played. Um, so, or the games that his team has played. It's crazy that, you know, we're going to say if Juan Soto ends up leading all of baseball and on-base percentage slugging and OPS and he missed the first 10 games of the season, you know, what if it was a 50-game season and we're just – everyone's right. kind of compressing that shorter That's time true. frame. He probably would have led by even more. I mean, everyone else is a little maybe even better or worse mm-hmm. either way depending on how your first 10 games went. But, you know, he missed the first week. Plus – forget about that you and know? he's right there and he right. is and the average as well and he and home runs you know he's already hit double home runs how many home runs we would talk about him maybe leading the league in home runs too had he played in the first 10 games of the season right so you know that's just amazing in and of itself for Juan Soto uh, moving on this is kind of more of a um not quite, I mean that's like <laughs> sad or depressing thought or just like I'm, I'm calling last call for Austin Voth and Eric Fetty Maybe more so Austin Voth because he's been the consistent starter throughout the season than Fetty. Fetty has started double headers. He's come out of the bullpen a couple times. Um, you know, he was called upon much more this season because of the absence of Joe Ross. But he's going to start game one tonight of the first double header mm-hmm. of the first of, five, of uh, three in five days. Um, and we'll figure Austin Voth, he started on Wednesday. He should get at least one, maybe squeeze in two more starts before the season because, again, with the uh, influx of games and the double headers, you, you might need a pitchers. I don't know how the pitchers are going to shake out, 
you know, they just put out their uh, rotation for this weekend. They don't even know who's going to start the second game on Sunday. Right. So both could theoretically get uh, definitely one more start, and if not, uh, if not squeezing two, Fetty's going to get one more, if not squeezing two. Last call for you guys. I mean, you guys both finished, especially Austin both finished 2019 so strong. Coming to this year, it's a bizarre campaign. Everyone knows that. The absence of uh, Joe Ross does not help. But Austin Voth coming off his strongest start on Wednesday against the Rays. Uh, six strikeouts in five innings, mm-hmm. completed the five innings. Can he build upon that, finish 2020 strong like he did last year, and then go into training camp um, <laughs> next – or spring training, football-minded uh, – <laughs> next spring and, and compete again for the full-time fifth starter spot in the regular right. season or a more regular season? It's so hard to tell, really, will this next week – how these guys perform have an impact on their future with this team. Hard to tell. They're so aggravating <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I, they both, they all showed up last year when the Nationals needed them. And at the winter meetings, we we're talking to Mike Rizzo, and he's like, it is neck and neck between Eric Fetty, Austin Both, and at that time, Joe Ross, before he, of course, opted out for the season. And you wanted so bad for them to just, you know, fight it out for that spot and somebody to really earn it. Ended up being Austin Both, even though Eric Fetty's only pitched a third of an inning less than Austin Both because of, you know, of course, Straws was out for the season, and that's right. how that all kind of shook out. Um, but they just haven't done their job. And you know, we'll talk about Patrick Corbin being the only pitcher that seems to be able to go late into games, but they just get into trouble so early. And I mean, both have ERAs over five, both has a 7.17 ERA. Um, just had that strong outing two two days ago. Yep. Um, you know, season high st- six strikeouts, so that's exciting. And you know, maybe he'll get back out there and prove himself and finish this season on a high note. I mean, at this point, I imagine that's all the Nationals want to do is finish on a high note. You know, these guys that are going into free agency want to finish on a high note. Um, and of course, Eric Fetty and Austin both want to show that we they are better than how they've performed so far this season. But it they just. Oh, they've been so aggravating, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Stressful. It really is. It is frustrating. And and for both, we talked about how well he how good he was on, on Wednesday. That was only his third time in his nine starts so far this season that he completed five innings. Otherwise, he's gone into the fifth or shorter, uh, not being able to complete the five. And that's something that you know we and. and well, again, you mentioned the Patrick Corbin thing. We'll get to it in a bit. And it's not just him. Max Scherzer struggled a couple of times. No, oh, he had yeah, an yeah, yeah. injury one time. Um, Steven Strasburg never got right. He never got that deep. Uh, Andy Ball Sanchez mm-hmm. had his fair share of struggles. So it's not. I'm not just blaming Austin. Of Voth course, for and being the only the, one to do they're this. They're the fifth starter, so right. you know, there's going to be a drop off. Of course, right. But <laughs> but uh, but my whole point for always has been for this fifth starter. You look at the rest of the rotation in a normal season. You have a healthy Strasburg, Corbin, Scherzer. You just need that fifth starter to get you at least five innings every mm-hmm. outing, um, and then you can kind of pass on the bullpen because you're expecting those other three guys to go get their jobs six, up. seven, yep. maybe eight um, on those on their days. So, yeah, the inability to consistently get five um, is, was definitely down. But uh, you know, just adding it up right now, it looks like Austin Voth will probably get two more starts to finish the season. So, can he build upon his Wednesday start in Tampa Bay and go five, maybe deeper. Uh, his pitch count keeps getting high. He wasn't, you know, 88 in five innings is, is kind of high. He wasn't too happy about that post game, which is is good that he's that has that he has that in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rays lineup is also not an easy lineup. Right. Uh, he might have a better time against Philly or New York, but you know, can he finish? Can he build upon that and finish strong and keep that in the back of Dave Martinez's mind as they head to spring training 2021? Right, and you know. 
have two strong outings, fix these stats up a little bit, and this season looks a lot better than if you were watching his first few starts. So, you know, it is last call. You want these two guys to finish strong, do what they can to, to finish out this season on a higher note. Yeah, and then in terms of Eric Fetty, you know, he's gone at least five uh, and three of his last four starts. Um, his last four outings have been starts. Uh, the three previous were out of the bullpen. Um, he does have a kind of a high ERA when you combine those four starts. He's given a four, six, four, and two runs. Again, another strong outing against Atlanta. Um, in his last outing on September 11th, two, in, two, two earned runs in, in the five innings. Um, he looks strong. And then can, all right, you, he'll probably get – he definitely has today, game mm-hmm. one, um, and against Miami. You'll probably get another one early next week. You might not be able to squeeze one in before the end of the season. So you've got two more starts as well mm-hmm. before the end of the season. Can you build upon that as well? Go Just five. 17 strikeouts, you know. He doesn't strike out too many guys. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the other thing back to vote. You know, he had a pretty high number of strikeouts considering for him mm-hmm. in his last outing, and he was doing really well in terms of placing his pitches. But can Fetty do the same thing? You know, we're not looking for strikeouts from these guys. We're looking for just outs. Get them, a, get them any way you can. Right, Don't put right. guys on base. Don't put yourself in bad situations. Um, and then get, hand the ball over to the bullpen. Right. But then they get into bad situations early, and that's, that's why they, your pitch count gets up and they're out of games way too soon. So, right. um, so let's move on then to Patrick Corbin. We just kind of touched on him a little bit. Something to keep an eye on. And this is a, <laughs> this is like a, one of those small victories, something that we really shouldn't be celebrating, but it's something to keep an on. Patrick. Can Patrick Corbin be the only Nationals pitcher to consistently go five at least five innings? He's the only one so far this season to go at least five innings, complete them, um, in each of his starts this season. Um, that's considered. That's also including Max Scherzer. Again, he had those two injury I don't want to say plagued, but, you know, freak mm-hmm. incidents um, that shortened his outings early on in the season. Can Patrick Corbin be the Nats, quote-unquote, Iron Man in terms of a starting pitcher, in terms of being able to eat innings for Davey Martinez? Right, and almost 40% of the Nationals games this year, their starter hasn't been able to go five innings. So Patrick Corbin has gone five innings in each of his starts, and that's what you want to see. Um, you know, Scherzer's obviously the ace of, ace of this rotation, but – he gets into trouble early. I mean, he has a tendency to get that pitch count up earlier than you'd like to see. And he, of course, had that one outing this year, um, hamstring issues and all of that. But, you know, Patrick Corbin has been the only guy able to go deep deep into games this year. And what I wonder is with all these doubleheaders coming up and the, all, all these games to play and Patrick Corbin being the only one that seems to be able to go deep into games, will they go with – some bullpen days well they go with some openers and we'll get into the young arms or new arms in this bullpen and maybe they want to see some of those guys and let them each pitch a couple innings um I don't know maybe that's an option and we'll see what they end up doing they have a tendon their nationals don't typically do that um but seeing as this season is going the way it's going these new arms in the bullpen why not yeah um yeah no, that's a good point, and I think maybe the better way to phrase this question in terms of Patrick Corbin is maybe can he become the Nats' leader in innings this season? He's only three behind uh, Max Scherzer total. Mm-hmm. Max Scherzer at 55 and two-thirds, Patrick at 52 and two-thirds. Mm-hmm. Patrick probably have two more starts. Uh, he was announced as a Saturday starter for the one game on Saturday, um, and then he'll probably get another start late, maybe to start the Mets series next week on Thursday. That'll be five the days. Final series, yep. um, so two more starts. Can he... Build upon that, be consistent, five innings plus, um, and maybe kind of ch- 
challenge Max Scherzer as the as the team's leading um, innings. Yeah, and leader. in the, you know a rotation. I mean, in a team that has had starting pitching issues all season, that'll be a a bright note, yeah. you know, and good for him. Good for him. So, and t- speaking of Max Scherzer, you know, this is a guy who, of course, Cy Young winner. Um, he has one of the top. He is will be go down as one of the best strikeout pitchers of all time. Um, in a shortened season, you know, I, before the season, I predicted he would get to, I think, well, what did I say, one hundred and around one hundred and ten strikeouts, maybe. He's at seventy nine right now. Probably two starts less, so mm-hmm. he, he's twenty one strikeouts away from reaching a hundred. We're usually talking about can he get to 300 strikeouts. Now in this 60-game season, we're talking about can he get to 100. Probably two more starts left. You're talking about a 10-strikeout outing and 11-strikeout outing. We know every time he gets those double-digit strikeout games, he's climbing up the ranks in terms of all-time double-digit strikeout games. He just passed Sandy Koufax on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, can he get to 100 strikeouts for the 2020 season in 60 games? That would be pretty impressive. It would be pretty impressive. And, you know, back in 2018 when he reached that 300 strikeout milestone, he became the quickest pitcher to reach 100 strikeouts in his 63rd inning in 2018. So with Max Scherzer, anything is possible. Right now, Shane Bieber leads the league with 102 strikeouts in the same amount of starts as Max Scherzer. So his season high is 11 strikeouts in a game, I believe. So he'd have to match that and then have another 10 strikeout outing in what looks like is going to be two more starts for Max Scherzer. So it's definitely possible. He's right at 79 right now. Um, I think if you tell him he can't do it, then he'll go out there and have like two 20 strikeout games. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't you don't test Max Scherzer. So it's definitely possible. Anything's possible. And that'd be a good milestone for him, and especially in a 60-game season. Yeah. And especially after he had that injury right, early yeah, on. And, and you're talk, you know, we're talking about how – even he hadn't been able to complete five innings at times. You know, mm-hmm. he has one uh, one inning outing against the Mets. He has a four and a two-thirds against the Marlins. I think he even has a shorter one somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, his first outing, he didn't complete six. Uh, so, yeah, he he's, hasn't even had, like, his normal full season. Like, if he was able to eat innings, take out those two outings and eat innings like Patrick Corbin had been able to, Imagine you know, how, we might yeah. probably be talking about, all right, can you get to, like, 120-ish or something like that? But... You know, he has not. Um, again, the season has not gone according to plan for a lot of people. Uh, he's got one, two, three, four, five, uh, ten plus strikeout seasons or outings this season already. Um, 11, three times. I did, oh, excuse me, 11, only two times. Um, that is his season high. So, yeah, it's definitely possible. And coming off a 10 strikeout inning against Atlanta, we know he does well against the Mets. Um, we know he does. Usually gets a young Marlins lineup. Um, Marlins obviously are better this year, but when he pitches on one of the games on Sunday, you know they're a better lineup now than he's. But he is he able to get swing and miss stuff against them. So it's definitely possible. And, and he's also in a group of pitchers that are chasing 100 strikeouts. You mentioned Bieber; he's the only one to surpass 100 so far, well past 112. But Garrett Cole hasn't reached it yet. Lucas Giolito, Aaron Nola, Jacob Degrom, Yu Darvish. Mm-hmm. You know some of those guys are in contention for Cy Young, uh, the Cy Young Award this year, and they're not even at 100 yet. So, you know, it's not like Max Scherzer had a completely down year. It's just the way the season has gone. He's in a group of pitchers who are still chasing 100. And a lot of those guys, I think, have less start. I mean, more starts than he has, you know. And I'm sorry. Let's see. He's at 10. 
Bieber's at 11. Garrett's at 11. Yeah. Uh, Giolito's at 11. Noel's only at 10. And, you know, Max Scherzer had that one game where he only made it through an inning and then had the issues with his hamstring. So to be sitting at 79 strikeouts right among the top of, you know, these strikeout leaders this year is, is pretty good considering. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you finish at or around 100, all things considered, that's a good way to end the season. Yep. Um, and when you were at 79 with two to go. Um, okay, so now these are more broader things to kind of look at. Those are kind of the individual uh, milestones, I think, to reach in terms of the last week of the season. But, you know, we're not used to the Nationals playing spoiler on this on the season. Um, but this is the opportunity that they uh, they can play. We talked about the schedule. They've got three division opponents left, two of them are of which are in the playoff hunt. Um, we know one of them is going to be in the playoffs because of someone has to finish second to the Braves and mm-hmm. they're going to automatically get in, whether that's the Marlins or Phillies, that's to, to be determined. But you could play spoiler for the other one in terms of them chasing their wild card. Right now, that's the Phillies. Again, they're the eighth wild card or the eighth spot, the second wild card seed um, in the National League. You got four games in three days against the Phillies next week. You know, they've been struggling as of late. The Nationals could play spoiler and knock the Phillies out of the postseason. Yeah, they absolutely could. Right now, the Phillies' magic number is at 11, um, and they play four against Toronto and then four against the Nationals. So it's definitely possible. And you don't want to be in this spot, obviously, playing spoiler, especially coming off of you know a World Series win. But that's something to play for at this point. So they could definitely play a part in that, You know, playing all these games against the Marlins coming up and then um, – against the Phillies so and then they could catch catch the Mets that's possible mm-hmm. here right now they're what three and a half games back from the Nats yep from the and Mets they've got four games next week and I'm not even sh- not sure of the Mets schedule Mets play three against the Braves three against Tampa Bay and then four against the Nationals to finish up the season so so the Mets play two division leaders yeah fighting for the number one overall seed in their division not that that matters really anymore the number one overall seed in the league like no, but that means... You know, if you finish in the top four, you That means hope. you're playing good teams. <laughs> right, but you're playing good teams, and then you finish four against New York here right. in D.C. So, yeah, that's definitely possible. Is there any... This is... I feel like this is a question more for... Like, that applies more to, like, college uh, sports. Is there any merit or to wanting three teams in the playoffs from your from your division? Or do you want to just play spoiler? I see it. I see what you're saying. Or you're, uh, each like divi- looking at bowl games or, like... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but, like, you know... We're Maryland grads, so yeah. we we root we How root for are, the Big yeah, yeah, Ten yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms How of. How many Big Ten teams are in the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. against like the SEC I, against I the Big Twelve. Do you you know if the if the Phillies and Marlins, well, obviously one of those teams has to make it because each division gets two teams mm-hmm. locked in. Uh, but is there? I mean, it looks better because it looks like you're playing some tougher teams. Right. So is there? Um, do, you, do you do Nats fans? Do you want? The, the Phillies to be a third team from your division in, or do you just want to knock them out? No. I think you want to knock them out. Knock them out. I think so. I, I mean, I think so. I think every, yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, just from That's my fandom, I just yeah. like, you know, I just, from a fandom standpoint, I just, you just hate all those teams. Like naturally you don't want them to succeed, especially in a season where you're not succeeding. Mm-hmm. But then you think about it like, well, we did win the world series last year. This is from a Nats fan. I mean, it's not like saying we, but like, so, you know, what's the harm in like letting the Phillies squeak into a playoff field that no one's going to take seriously anyways. When we look back on it, because eight teams, half the league is making the play, more than half is making um, the postseason at the end of the season. So it's like, mm, 
Yeah, I mean the Marlins too. Like the Marlins weren't supposed to be here, but they're going to finish second in this. Weird, mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna, well after twenty twenty one, they could finish last again in the NL East, and we'll be like, oh, that was a blurb. So, is there any like way you could be like, yeah, let the Mar- let the Phillies squeak in, kind of represent for the NL East, and see how they do. I guess you're not. You're not on. I'm not I mean, sold. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not either. sold because uh, no, I'm not sold. Okay. I mean, imagine you're the Yankees sitting last in your division. Like, do you want to see the Red Sox squeak in? Yeah, you know I mean, that's that's true. No, that's good. I, I think it is different because when you go from professional sports, like I think that's why I preference it. Like th- this more applies to like college sports, mm-hmm. high school sports, because you want yeah, to see, see that yeah. you play in the toughest conference in or division, whatever in, in the country. But yeah, to that point, I mean, it makes their their season look a maybe not better, but a little bit better because yeah. they're playing in a tough division, you know. So I see, I see your point. Yeah, and awesome. then you look at you look at the other side. Because again, it's it's by geographic division, and the AL East might get three teams in the postseason too. So you could say, hey, the Nationals played two teams. I got three teams into the postseason, yeah, uh, or three divisions. I got three teams in the postseason. So, so then maybe it's a win-win. Yeah, right. You knock them out, or they make it. It's a win-win either. So way. it's like, oh, you're rooting. oh, but you're also representing us. Um, all right. You so you already touched on uh, catching the Mets. You know, you don't want to finish last. And then you can also say, oh, so many teams made it this year. It's like not even. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) everyone did. But then, you know, if the Nats squeak in, you're like, oh, we made it. It's like, well, because it was an eight team playoff. That's why why you squeaked in. Um, Yeah. So, only three and a half games behind the Mets. Again, you mentioned their tough schedule. uh, And, you know, they're they're not going to make the postseason either. It doesn't look like. So, you could be entering a four game series starting on Thursday for the final weekend of the season. And have an mm-hmm. opportunity to catch up, catch up them, and and jump them. And for now, do you want? So here's another thing that we don't know, and we'll talk about this more during the off season. Is sure. is draft, draft. So like, if you're the Nationals, again, we don't know how it's going to work. So there might not be a benefit at all to finishing last place. So you might as well just jump Try the Nets to win so you're and not in last. Right. I know the players and the coaches in the moment aren't thinking that right now to finish the season, but. You know, you're two years removed from a World Series title, and mm-hmm. you get a top ten, top five pick because you finished last in the short season. I mean, in a farm I would, system that you're trying to rebuild. Yeah, what's, I know. What's what's four games against the Mets versus you know the number five overall pick? I would I would take that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and knowing that 2020 was just you know has an asterisk next to right. it, and we're moving on to 2021, which will be a regular regular season, hopefully. Um, and, and then you can show mm-hmm. show who you are, you know, shut your stuff more and go after a real title. Right. I mean, you want to obviously win as many games as you can down the stretch. Um, they're trying to win, not trying to tank by any means. But that is, I mean, that's a good optimistic thing to look at, you know, if they end up finishing last and get a much better draft pick than any, I think anybody would have anticipated this this year, depending on we have no idea how the draft is going to work right. yet at this point, but wouldn't hurt. That would be my fear is that <laughs> is that they do finish last, but then there's no benefit of them finishing last. Mm. Like Manfred steps in and is like, nope, we're switching it up because this was oh, not how this season should have gone. It's not fair. So we're gonna do you know the same twenty nine same mm-hmm. uh, order as 2020 right. draft from the twenty nineteen season. Which would be totally unfair. Because yeah, I would imagine they're gonna have to do like a look at both seasons. Yeah, I would imagine it's gonna have to be like an average the, type thing because um, they can't. I mean, that just wouldn't be fair. Yeah, 
And, you know, teams like the Orioles, who probably won't make the postseason, but they're right there. Mm-hmm. They're only a couple games at back. You know, they'll be back in the number two overall pick. That doesn't seem fair to teams like Texas, Pittsburgh, Arizona, who are finishing dead last. So, yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Interesting. It's something else to keep in you know, the back of your mind as the Nationals finish out the season. All right, a little more sad. Another kind of sad one, then we'll finish on a high note uh, before we get out of here and get to uh, these three doubleheaders in five days. We could be seeing some um, old faces with the Nationals for the very last time. Mm-hmm. We might have already seen some of these guys because a lot of them are on, on the, the injured IL. list. Yep. Um, heading into the last week of the season, Adam Eaton was placed on the injured list last year. We know that uh, his contract status. He has an option. I Club think. option. Club option. Uh, Mark Zuckerman kind of broke down what this all means for Adam Eaton and how we should look at that trade mm-hmm. if this is it for him in D.C. Um, but there are some other guys on this roster who we're probably not going to see for the rest of the season and may not see in a Nationals uniform again moving forward. Yeah, like Howie. Howie. He's been on the aisle for a while now. Probably not going to see him again. Howie. Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle. Very season's possible. Done, which is um, definitely tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. For, I think for everybody. I mean, you you know, you, you think Howie Kendrick is going to go down as, you know, a Nats hero for his postseason heroics last season. Adam Eaton, again, the breakdown, trade totally worth it. He was exact, exactly the player that the Nationals were trading for and wanted and needed. Sean Doolittle, you know, the one guy from that 2017 trade that stayed in recovering the last out or recording the last out in their first playoff series victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he does off the field, the impact he has in the community, the relationship he's made with the fan base. That would be a tough pill to swallow. And then the way he went out, too. You know, struggling early on in the season, going on the IL, fixing it, coming back, coming back strong, and then having a freak oblique injury and then calling it a day. That would just be a brutal way to end a career in a place that you called home for the last couple of years. It's tough, especially for him because Sean Doodle is just such a good guy. Um, You know, great to be around. And, he, you know, he, he, when every time he struggles, every time you know he gets into trouble in a season, he puts in the work and gets it all back together. And was working on that this season, um, and then you know has that injury, and we've probably seen him possibly for the last time in a Nationals uniform. So that's tough. But you know, then there's other guys right now that are you know in about to reach free agency, and they're fighting, you know, trying to finish this season on a, stri- on a strong note, build up their numbers before, you know, they, they could be headed somewhere else. So that's something to look forward to, good baseball to look forward to. But it, it might be the last time we've seen the gang all together, um, that World Series gang all together, yep. that is. Another name to mention is Anibal Sanchez. He also has an option after this mm-hmm. season, but, you know, he had his ups and downs this year. Um, was great as the fourth starter last year. Will the Nationals hold on to him and, and, and try to bring back the four-headed monster total, you mm-hmm. know, uh, healthy in 2021? Or do you say, thank you for your service, we're going to go find another fourth starter out on the market this offseason mm-hmm. um, and probably re- reinvigorate that, uh, that rotation? All right, on a lighter note, there are some young guys that we know will be around mm-hmm. um, that have had – Pretty strong debuts. We're going to get into a deeper breakdown of the young guys that we saw. Again, that's a, an off-season topic um, in the next couple of weeks. So kind of break down who made their debuts this year, what do we like, what we didn't like, what can people work on. But things to keep an eye on, these young guys, you know, there are a handful of guys in the bullpen, and then there's, you know, the number two overall prospect at second base in Luis Garcia. 
they're getting a chance every day, it seems like, you know, especially with, we talked about the starting pitcher not getting deep in the games, bullpen mm-hmm. arms have been relied upon. Luis Garcia hit the game-winning home run on Wednesday. These are guys that, you know, you're looking at the future now mm-hmm. um, if you're a Nationals fan. The one positive note of, you know, a lot of injuries and a bad season is that you're going to get to see these young guys um, and, you know, they can get their feet wet. Now is the perfect opportunity for them to come in, low leverage, and, and get their feet wet. And it's a great chance for, you know, the organization to see what these see what these guys can do. Um, you talk about Luis Garcia. We saw him way more than we would have imagined. We would have only 20 years old, never played a game in AAA. And when Starling Castro ended up going out for the season, he stepped up. And um, he's made his fair share of errors, but... You know, he's had some big moments at the plate, the game winner last night. Um, it's been great to see him consistently. And then, you know, we talk about, obviously, Yadio Hernandez just option. But, you know, that's a great storyline that we probably wouldn't have otherwise gotten to see. Almost 33 years old, um, finally making his MLB debut. Um, you know, the VP of International Operations saw him when he was 22 playing in the Cuban League, then saw him again when he was 29 and he defected from Cuba when he was playing in Florida. Um, he was cheap and, you know, was the Nationals minor league player of the year last year, you know, finally made his debut. That's a great storyline that you probably wouldn't have otherwise gotten to see. Um, and then we talk about all these promising arms in the bullpen. Um, a lot of young guys who, which is why I think that it's possible that the Nationals might go with some, some bullpen games down this final stretch just to see some of these guys more, get them some more innings. And especially when you don't have the starting pitching going deep into games, um, Ben Bramer, yep. um, Kyle Finnegan. I mean, just some of these guys. We just saw Aaron Barrett. Yep. Um, again, great story. and he looked another great story and looked just so much better. It had his mechanics together. Um, Kyle McGowan. Um, you know, all these guys who come up and are looking better and some promising, promising arms there. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Mark Zuckerman on MassInSports.com the other day had an article and being like the future of the bullpens here. You know, we talk about how the backenders were supposed to be these veterans and Will Harris, Sean Doolittle, and Daniel Hudson. Now you're looking at Kyle McGowan, Kyle Finnegan, mm-hmm. and Tanner Rainey. Tanner Rainey's probably not going to finish, not going to appear again this season on the IL too. But, you know, those are guys that this is – and Dave Martinez has mentioned this a couple of times over the past week or so. Like these guys are in high-leverage situations and they're performing and you know they're going to be a key part in us not only to finish the season but in for years to come because they're young and they've been effective. And, you know, Kyle McGowan – I mean, Finnegan, sorry – is the one that really sticks to them. We talked about Tanner Rainey a bunch, but we kind of knew his stuff coming into the season. He had a strong finish last season and, and, and appeared a couple of times in the postseason. But Finnegan coming out of nowhere and, and out of necessity because of the injuries uh, to Will Harris, mm-hmm. to Sean Doolittle, and getting himself in high-level situations, getting you know into a bases-loaded jam against the Rays and getting out of it, um, being called upon, I think, a couple of times in some jams and getting out of it. He is a guy that has performed really well and beyond expectations. You know, he's the one that took a step this year that we weren't expecting. Uh, And, you know, coming into next year, he's going to be someone that Davey Martinez is going to be like, you're going to make this opening day roster and be one of our trusted arms out of the bullpen probably. Which if, you know, you don't ever want injuries, um, especially, you know, in your bullpen when the na- where the Nationals have struggled the most, but he, maybe we wouldn't have seen what Kyle Finnegan has. Maybe he wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if there weren't injuries in that bullpen, which is exciting to see and, you know, good for them, making the most of their opportunities. 
out there, and we're going to see a lot more of them going forward. I imagine we're going to see more of Kyle McGowan going down the stretch, especially after his last outing. Um, you know, he's reinvented himself as a reliever, and, you know, I think we're going to see more of him just down these last few games. Kind of crazy, too, that we're going to possibly end the season as Kyle, Mc- Kyle Finnegan uh, leading the team in appearances. You know, who would have predicted that at the wow, beginning of the season? Yep. I think Tanner Rainey's injury hurts because Tanner Rainey was probably would have been right. the f- far and away favorite uh, to finish with the most appearances this season in terms of that bullpen arms. But Kyle Finnegan is at 21 right now, and we'll see him a couple more times before the season's this over. This last week, the thing is, is you – you want to win is I mean you want to win and you d- want to prevent any injuries like yeah. you don't want any injuries down this last week especially any that would require surgery or anything like that so you just want these guys to stay healthy another thing to keep an eye on yeah it's something that you don't want to you know this season was kind of already a setback you don't want to set yourself back even further heading into next season and hopefully that's a normal season um, so that's going to be it for this week's podcast. Um, again, it was a short week for the Nationals, so maybe a little shorter episode on the Mass and All Access podcast. We thank you for tuning in on uh, the Mass and Nationals Facebook page, YouTube channel, and on Twitter. Um, you can also follow each of us on Twitter at uh, Amy Jennings News. For Amy, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Uh, Mass and Nationals across the board on social media. Again, uh, doubleheader starting today. We'll hopefully you can fit this podcast in before you watch the game. Uh, tonight, starting at 5 o'clock, pregame coverage at 4.30 on Masson, and then, of course, 6 o'clock uh, tomorrow on Saturday and a doubleheader again on Sunday. So hopefully this gets you set for the final <laughs> week-plus of the season. The national season is uh, coming to an end. We'll recap it all next week as the season com- com- comes to a close uh, before that final series against the New York Mets. Um, Shout-out to Brandon uh, Mortensen for his help behind the board um, and doing all of the great stuff behind the scenes. Follow the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Like, re- like review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, and we thank you for following on. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the five games and the surplus of baseball. You're going to miss it when it's gone. Tune in. See you later, everybody.